All right, launch into the theme song. John Cale, you know more than I know. But us connecting the classics. Like other angry holes, discuss. It only feels appropriate to start the podcast with a little John Cale. This is a competitive radio hour where both Will and I choose albums and we connect from our album to the other person's album using songs and references, Kevin Bacon style. Kevin Bacon style. So each week we both pick an album, like Lee said, and this week I gave Lee my pick of The Velvet Underground, White Light, White Heat. Love it. And Lee fired back. Yeah, I responded with that. Had to do another seminal classic. Uh, went with Boogie Down Productions, Criminal Minded, 1987. Great choice. So the way the show works, I'm going to be playing a song from White Light, White Heat, and then three other songs that weave webs through musical history until I connect back to Boogie Down Productions. Lee's going to be doing the same thing in the other direction, resulting in six songs of separation, Kevin Bacon style. We award points, but the points don't matter. Whose line is it anyway style? And if you're listening along at home, you can uh, let us know who you think, how many points we each got for the episode by emailing us at connectingtoclassics at gmail.com or tweeting us at ctcpod. But yeah, let's talk about the Velvet Underground. But first, let's get into a little J.J. Kale, Ride Me High. We like John Kale, but we also like J.J. Kale. So I basically chose this album because we did a previous version of this podcast where, um, also called Connected Classics, it's now been scrubbed from the internet, but (laughs) we might be reposting some old episodes later on this feed, but the first album I chose for that podcast was The Velvet Underground and Nico, and I thought it was fitting that on this reboot of the podcast, we could listen to the second album from The Velvet Underground, White Light, White Heat, from 1968. Yeah, I love the pick. Uh, I have a coworker actually who says that this is really the only legitimate uh, Velvet Underground album because he doesn't really consider the Nico, Andy Warhol stuff to really be truly Velvet Underground. Um, I like that. So just to set the stage, this album came out a couple years after that debut. And like Lee said, Andy Warhol was fired from the band. Uh, Nico left the band. And it was kind of showing that tension between John Cale and Lou Reed, who had a kind of a contentious relationship that produces some artistic genius. So let's launch into my song from White Light, White Heat, Lady Godiva's Operation. Nice. This is a great one for that tension between Cale and Reed. Yeah, so would you say Cale kind of joined the band and he, f- he founded the band with Lou Reed and he's singing on this album or on this song 
which Lou Reed's the usual singer. But when he founded the band, he said, I wanted to cross-pollinate rock with avant-garde, and then I met Lou Reed, and that was the solution. (laughs) I was going to say, I've read interviews and stuff where... You know, like, they were living together, they shot heroin into each other's arms, they, like, had sex with all the same people, and they kind of got in a lot of arguments and fights, but it also resulted in some great music, so... Yeah, I think they're the classic, like, they're polar ends of the spectrum, and I think they helped each other. Uh, to me, John Cale's totally, like, art world. He was into, like, composers and stuff like that. And Lou Reed, to me, is, you know, a kid who wants to be a rock and roll star. Uh, totally loves and honors pop music. Um, so they meet in the middle in this super cool blend, which uh, I think your this album is a great example of. Yeah, and it it uh, it's an interesting album, too, because... It was kind of a reaction to their last album, which even though that album is avant-garde, this one is more like fuzzed out and distorted and weirder, I guess, and not as easily accessible. Totally. Um, Fun fact, part of that was because they had an endorsement deal with Vox, which made uh, really fuzzy amplifiers back in the late 60s. So, you know, just like Boogie Down Productions, they had a word from their sponsor, Vox. Um, But it was also because it was intentionally trying to move away from that and also react to kind of like the cleaner, hippie, flower power movement of the time. Yeah, I mean, this was, what, 68, 67? 68, yeah. That's one thing I always feel like is lost with Velvet Underground is how, like, early they really were on the scene and... New York. Um, but yeah, I mean, I honestly thought this album is less poppy than Velvet Underground and Nico. Did, were you saying the opposite? Yeah, that's what I was saying. Oh, okay. No, yeah, I'm yeah. saying like they were reacting against that. Totally. And then this part is great where Lou Reed comes in just yelling out lines in a different voice and tone and everything. Yeah. It's just He's in his like, John Cale has his Welsh like accent. What once was... Screaming. <laughs> and Lou reads this like Coney Island trash kid. And they recorded this album in 48 hours, kind of just going nuts in there. Um, and this album also kind of, and Velvet Underground in general, but went on to influence a lot of punk acts that came in the next decade. Um, including like the Stooges who John Cale ended up producing the Stooges debut album Um, and a few months before he died in 2013 Lou Reed said to Rolling Stone about this album no one listened to it but there it is forever the the quintessence of articulated punk and no one goes near it which I think is a nice analogy for connecting the classics yeah And then you got the little avant-garde, probably John Cale influence coming in here at the end. Also, this song was kind of controversial and maybe could even be more controversial today because it's about a transgender woman getting a botched lobotomy. 
Yeah, I feel like there's several stories about transgender people. I did think it was interesting that, like, when I was reading about the album, people kept using the word transvestite, and I was like, thinking to myself, is that, uh, is what, like, the term was back then? Right. Because no one really understood it or widely accepted it. Yeah, but I think Lou Reed and John Cale were kind of in that scene of New York. Totally. Um, kind of like drug scene and rock and roll music. Party. Um, CDR side. Um, but yeah, I like that song a lot too because we'll be getting into how John Cale brought drones into the Velvet Underground and that nice. song kind of has a driving beat courtesy of a drummer you know a little bit about, Mo Tucker. So I just want to give a shout out to Mo Tucker and her mo- motoric beats. Shout out to Mo. Um, check out episode of Velvet Underground and Funkadelic if we release that um, later on. Also, quick, just got to do a quick correction. Lou Reed is from Long Island, not Coney Island. I know our New York geography might be relevant for this episode, (laughs) so I got to make sure that I'm on point here. You know what? I was going to give you minus five points for getting that wrong, but I'm going to give you plus 10 for for correcting correcting it. it. Thank you. Um, all right, let me. I ju- can't picture Lou Reed at like Coney Island. Coney Island doesn't fit. As a, no, Long no, Island. I, I can picture. Oh, I picture Lou Reed at, at Coney Island working at like one of the games there. Like, hey, come and play. Come and knock yeah. the pins down. Well, I guess I, I guess my persona or my like evaluation of Lou Reed is he's like, to me, this kid who's kind of got a chip on his shoulder. Uh, he's trying to be, you know, cool and, uh, I don't know, not innovative, but you know what I mean, like uh. He wants to be a rock star. A scene setter. And I feel like Long Island yeah. is the perfect place for someone who's like, you're not quite in the city. You're kind of just like outside looking in. No one cares if you're from Long Island. Um, so, yeah. It could be you like a if you're from a bit of angst. Yeah. It's like you're from Inland Empire in Los Angeles or something. I don't know. You know, you're like on the yeah. outskirts, but you're not. A lot of great musicians from Long Island, though. True. But, but let's get to the Bronx. So let's move over to Boogie Down Productions, uh, which I actually read Boogie Down is a nickname for South Bronx. Oh. Um, so that's part of that uh, homage to where they're at. Um, I chose Criminal Minded. This is actually an album my brother introduced me to uh, a while ago. And so this re-listen was really fun because I feel like since then I've learned so much more about hip hop. Uh, and you definitely can feel the age of this album just like, rapping at this time um, was still kind of in its disco roots uh, but this is a sort of a classic album in that this is the transition to more hardcore uh, boom bap golden age type stuff that I think you and I are more familiar with that you know happened in the 90s um, but yeah, one of the I songs feel like there's so oh, many I'm uh, just gonna interrupt but I feel like there's so many songs from that era you mentioned that reference back to this album and it's one of those things where it's like you hear someone else saying like, what da dang, listen to my yeah. nine millimeter go bang or something. Or MF Doom's got the holder of a boulder money folder. Yeah. And stuff like lines referencing back to this album. Doom also sampled this album. I don't know if you're going to get to that. That was one thing I wanted to try to work in, but he used. I'm the, not working it in, but give he used the drums out. on uh, poetry for uh, Doomsday nice um, and i love the uh the back in black beat i had to give yeah, a shout out to that that was totally a reference to like run dmc and the whole uh aerosmith like rock rap trend i feel yeah. like yeah but um 
chose the song I chose is uh, Nine Millimeter Goes Bang. Um, this was considered kind of you know another song that helped bring gangster rap in vogue for hip hop. Uh, you know, Ice T gets a lot of the credit for hardcore rap, but um, this is 1987. Straight out of Compton isn't out yet, so. Um, let's go ahead and launch into it. Also love it because of the dance hall sort of persona that, um, KSR1 puts, KRS1 puts on. So, um, launching in. Launch it. Also amazing beat. Also read that uh, this is one of the first rap album covers with guns on it. I saw that too. Sort of reinforcing this, you know, idea that rappers are gangsters. I think the song is about shooting a crack dealer. Lou Reed also talked about crack, crack dealers. Yeah. I also feel like the way like like that like bang is similar to the Velvet Underground song we had or we listened to where Lou Reed comes in like saying something louder and harsher. Yeah. But yeah, I feel like this is one of the songs that aged a lot better than some of the other ones. I feel like Schoolboy Q also does the the yak yak. Yeah, that could be coincidence though. You know what that sample is? Is it a sample? I thought he was playing that on oh, I'd believe it. But I also realized listening to this album that like KRS One was so influential. So many New York MCs just like tried to copy him. Yeah. Well, I feel like he's widely regarded as like one of the best rappers ever by a certain generation. Yeah, definitely. Where he's like a little before our time. But I thought this whole album still holds up. Yeah, definitely. It captures a moment in time. Especially like the diss tracks. Yeah, because they had the whole beef with uh, Marley Hall. And like, 
I was reading up on Bridge Wars, doing my research for this episode. Yeah. I don't know if you're going to get into that, but just how Boogie Down Productions obviously is from the Bronx, where I think it's pretty much accepted that hip hop was invented or the first hip hop block party took place at least. Yeah. And then um, Marley Mall was saying they invented it. Queensbridge. But apparently that was all just like a, a probably just not publicity, but misinterpretation and never that serious in terms of rap beefs. Yeah. But it led to some good songs. Definitely. Um, I guess I'll pass it back to you. All right. Well, let's launch straight into this because... It's, this is going to be a long one. We're going to fade it out before it's over. But this is the Dream Syndicate Day of Niagara in 1965. This is John Cale on viola. Wow. So that's the connection, you know. John Cale's in Velvet Underground. He's also nice. in the Theater of Eternal Music later named dream syndicate for this release so basically before john kale joined the velvet underground um you know he was born in wales like you mentioned his welsh accent studied music formerly in london and then came over to new york and kind of got involved with yeah like the scene of avant-garde composers like john cage and lamont young who who with Kale and a few other people started this group, the Theater of Eternal Music. Um, and Lamont Young, I don't know how much you know about him, but he's kind of credited as bringing drone music to Western audiences uh-huh. in the 1960s. Um, so they would do these performances that sounded like this, which it kind of goes back to like what John Kale was saying about the Velvet Underground and that second album, like just trying to push against everything. Yeah. Where it's like, I think a lot of people will find this really irritating and maybe want to turn off the podcast. But <laughs> I also liked what Lamont Young, the way he described Jerome music, is the sustained toned branch of minimalism. Uh huh. So I feel like even now, like, it's not meditative because it's harsh, you know? But it does kind of get you into a certain mindset if you just listen to something like this. And just the fact that they're doing it kind of to piss you off or confuse you. That makes it kind of like, I guess, a art of itself. Um, so thinking of, you had said, uh, Lamont Young, I definitely feel like he was in that minimalism scene that was also in New York, uh, you know, almost 10 years after Velvet Underground. But um, John Cale was definitely tangentially in that scene as well, Um, which I think it speaks to that art world that I think he's always been fascinated with. You mean with Lamont Young? Lamont Young, yeah, was, you know, minimalism in in New York in the 80s is like composers being super experimental with, song structure and instrumentation yeah. for sort of uh compositions so kind of you know taking something like classical music and being experimental with it right 
which is what Velvet Underground was trying to do with uh, rock music too. Uh huh. Yeah. Um. So yeah, this is a a bootleg release that came out decades later. That I guess kind of like the Velvet Underground too. Lamont Young has always been contentious to the other members of the group. So like John Cale has wanted to put out their music, and then Lamont Young will be like, "No, it's not mixed right, or doesn't sound right, or something like that." Yeah. Um. But it's kind of just interesting to listen to, like, an idea of what they were doing in the 60s, probably just freaking the people out in New York. Yeah, getting them to try to meditate. Yep. So uh, I'll fade this out because we can only hear so many minutes of drones. But <laughs> just wanted to, to show how this is what John Cale was doing before he joined the Velvet Underground. And that's why, like the drone influence has kind of come in. I'm fading it out. All right. All right. You passing it? All right. <laughs> All, All right. right. <laughs> All right. That was the Dream Syndicate, Day of Niagara, a.k.a. Theater of Eternal Music, and I'm passing it back. I could drone All on right. all day about them. I guess we left off at Boogie Down Productions nine millimeter goes bang uh reference to sort of the beginning of hardcore rap um while i was listening to the the lyrics it really made me think of um another song that happens about 10 years later um across the bridge ooh from an artist named nazir ooh queen's bridge marley mall marley mall um, marley mall this is the kind of hardcore rap that i feel like I grew up with, this was on a mix CD uh, that I used to bump in my Ford Expedition, my family's Ford Expedition, because they had bass subwoofers in the back. This is Nos, Shoot 'em Up, off Nostradamus. Queensbridge, this is where hip hop was invented. <laughs> Everyone's favorite Christmas murder song. He's rapping in outside. triple meter. Ooh, I'll give you triple points for that. 300. He's doing like Carol of the Bells. La 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 la. But I thought it was interesting, you know, 10 years later, bridge wars are over for this generation. Uh, this basically sounds like KSR1. KRS1 wrote it. But guess you guess who this song was produced by? Driving through the road, suburban Chevrolet, six ten and with those. Produced by Havoc. From Mob Deep. Mob Deep. Also Queen's Bridge. That's a deep connection. Give you hundred points. Where my truck was at? Who the fuck is that? Could it be a jet? Now pull my strap. It's my man, and we have the same plan. Let them bitches go. 
Civic 94. Looking funny though. Open up the car door. Funny smile. Fuck two already. That face, though. I'll give you Sound like gunshots. Me. 
so this song obviously was like hugely controversial 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 yeah um with like president george bush and dan quayle and all those people commenting on it and like the police forces across the country wanting to ban it um got it removed from their album and warner brothers who owned sire records which is what body count was on ultimately ended up just getting it out for free um i thought it was interesting just kind of goes to what you were talking about with nas and like fox news talking about him and him saying it's reality whereas it's kind of a long-standing thing in tradition where it's like music does blend reality and fiction kind of but it's like this song is cop killer doesn't necessarily mean ice tea is like killing cops but people will interpret certain types of music as being more likely to be real i guess if they don't understand it um so that's funny you say that because i read a, a, a thing on wiki that i'm not sure is true but it's it said that gangster rap was actually called reality rap originally did you know that well i mean either way it's kind of like reality tv where it's like it reflects reality and all music does but it also isn't reality you know it's like a weird thing yeah but that's interesting i've never heard that i like it though yeah me neither but that is kind of like even with boogie down productions you know like when they start stop when I guess rappers stopped being like kind of over the top disco like ridiculous and started talking about more like going on of everyday life. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I didn't realize about this song because I've always heard this story, but I didn't realize like it kind of became a, a freedom of expression issue. Um, which I guess Ice T actually came out against because he said um, the people who did have a or yeah, he basically he said the anger shouldn't have been directed at violation of the first amendment amendment it should have been directed back at the police which I thought was interesting yeah and I, I loved his quote which I think this is from his autobiography but when people were asking why Ice-T was uh, performing in body count instead of rapping he said as far as I'm concerned music is music I don't look at it as rock R&B or all that kind of stuff I just look at it as music I do what I like and I happen to like rock and roll I feel sorry for anybody who only listens to them form of music nice which I love and I think speaks to like the Velvet Underground too and kind of John Cale you know being able to work in any genre and put his own little spin on it um just quick points before I pass it back. A uh, sure. song people always cite in comparison to this song and like it not having any controversy compared to Cop Killer is I Shot the Sheriff, which kind of uh-huh. just shows like that disparity in ways of thinking about it. And uh, Ice-T's quote, which is also from his autobiography, is like, he says, hell, I was listening to Talking Heads singing Psycho Killer. Fuck it, I'll make Cop Killer. Nice. <laughs> And uh, he, he, I guess, didn't really expect any of the backlash that it got. But, And then, of course, he went on to play a cop on Law & Order, and he played one in New Jack City. So, Well, it actually feels pretty relevant even today. I mean, with Young Thug and 
rappers having to deal with uh you know the courts using their lyrics against them yeah and there are a lot of bills in different states around the country where they're trying to make that illegal like in new york speaking of which focus of the episode i think jay-z and maybe even krs1 now that i say it are involved in uh like some legislation where they want to make it illegal to use rap lyrics in court which i think is interesting yeah i mean i think ultimately it probably should be it feels a bit on that line of like you know, uh, not censorship, but the way that, you know, books or something, an author could be persecuted for yep. what they put in a book. I don't know. Just thinking about things from a zoomed out view, the legal precedent. Yeah. And on that right. note, I'm Will Hagel. And I just want to say I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die live on the nice. podcast. All right. Passing it back. Love it. Um, all right. So we left off at Nas shoot him up, um, which, you know, doing some Googling and <laughs> saw that, uh, there actually is a video game genre called shoot em up. I didn't know this STGs. I believe it. That's my favorite kind. Um, which I was surprised to learn the first version and basically was established by was the game space invaders. Ooh, um, was that the which first I thought GTA? was a pretty funny. Well, we we're talking about you know the origins of violence. Um, just to think of Space Invaders and how video games have evolved into much more realistic shoot 'em ups. Um, so one of my favorite bands actually does a cover of the Space Invaders theme. This is wow. Yellow Magic Orchestra. Ooh, uh, orchestras. Maybe we've talked about, but uh, we'll get into here. This is theme from the Space Invaders. Nice. Give me a million points for this one. So the reason that they chose to do a theme like this is uh, their band was heavily inspired by uh, you know, electronic things of the time. So this is like early 80s. Uh, so they were fascinated with arcade games and synthesizers. And then they're also obsessed with sort of the interplay of like the Western world and Asia. Um, basically the project was conceived with this idea that like Parodying the way the West parodies the East. So some of their music is a little uh, cheesy, but I think it's it's done in a tongue-in-cheek way. I like this a lot, though. So Space Invaders was the first first shooter never thought about it that way i like that though also wiki credits it with being the most influential video game of all time i think we kind of missed the game as a cultural reference so i think it's hard for us to grasp but any shooter is still i guess just a pixel moving across going after another true pixel to destroy it yeah to go bang 
So yeah, this came out in arcades in 1978. Oh, they they actually put this in the Space Invader game. Oh no no, just the oh, Space the Invaders the game. In which year? 1978. Okay, so ten years after I- White Light White Heat. Ten years before Boogie Down Productions. Like a year, I think. Or yeah, ten years before, yeah. So as you can sort of hear these sounds that sound like the way, uh, you know, Hollywood would just try to make something sound Asian by using certain scales and notes. Yeah. They're kind of doing a play on that. Sounds like Lou Reed noodling on the guitar at the end of uh, Sister Ray. All right, passing it back. That was a great connection. I'm going to give you a thousand points for that. I feel like this episode is just picking up, even though we're coming close to the end of our six songs of separation. Um, But we left off with Body Counts, Cop Killer, lyrics by Ice-T. What goes with Ice-T when you're playing a little Space Invaders? What would you put in your iced tea? Lemons. Just lemons? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what would you, you do? Were, you were close. I was thinking lemonade. Oh, nice. No, but Arnold Palmer? I, no, I respect, uh, I respect just putting lemons, too. Gives that, without the overwhelming sweetness, still gives you a little of that tart citrus zest. Um. But since this is six songs of separation, we don't have time to listen to Gucci Mane's Lemonade or the entire Beyonce album nice. Lemonade. So we're going to s- skip straight to what you said, the Arnold Palmer, the mix. This is Rat King, Arnold Palmer. Nice. Because when Andy Warhol left Velvet Underground, he called Lou Reed a rat. A rat. Lou Reed is the Rat King. Wow. Going Perfect. back to New York. 100 points. Playing ball, busting ass, dressing fucking fresh like he was playing golf. Patty in the back, holding Patty back, paying more. Mama makes the crack on the bomber, sipping and relaxing. Now it's winter and I'm thinking back on the summertime. What a time. So this song came out on the 700 Phil EP in 2015 follow up to the debut album kind of like white light white heat i'm a man i'm iced tea mixed with the lemonade and it made with that brisk mess yeah get it made with the fucking split with that brisk split in the shade yeah mix bitch sip that iced tea and lemonade can i make you fall in love this kid this is that was wiki and this is hawk which after this EP Hawk left the band, kind of like John Cale leaving after White Light White Heat. And then the producer of Rat King was Sporting Life, who is like a little bit older than the other two. Like they also just, I think, kind of had just like 
a contentious relationship in the band too because they put out like a great album that kind of like Velvet Underground was like representing mid 2000s New York but like the grimier underbelly kind of thing like kids who grew up there skateboard and stuff were they all from New York? So that's the other connection I had is I always thought Hawk was from the UK because he kind of had almost sounds like he has like a little British accent. I don't know what his accent actually is, but I think they're all from New yeah. York and then the Sporting Life, the producer, might have been from like Virginia and he moved to New York. I feel like it was always confusing too because uh, they always collaborated with, uh, what's his name? The British guy? King Cruel. King Cruel, yeah. Yeah, and like... So I always thought they had a British connection somehow. They definitely have kind of the grime influence. And like even this part, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Wiki has gone on to have more of a solo career. He's from, I, I think, the Upper West Side. Yeah. Upper West, fuck the rest. And I think he's... I think Wiki is half Puerto Rican, so that's why. And Irish. Yeah, right. so he always says, like, talks about being mutts on this album, and that's where the idea of Arnold Palmer comes from in the chorus. Nice. Yeah, mixed bitch. Mix that ice American mutt. Lemonade. I think Sporting Life had great beats, though. Totally. This is definitely one of those groups that I think everyone knows, like, they kind of had a lot of energy and a lot of potential and then they fell apart which ultimately is probably for the best but it's also like I like them a lot too bad yeah and like I feel like Wiki the rapper kind of benefits from this type of energetic beat but I will pass it back alright so we left off with Yellow Magic Orchestra uh, playing their uh, computer music, computer game music. Um, I had mentioned it briefly that it sort of started as whoop, started as uh, a reference to how um, the West kind of characterized Asian music, specifically the Orient was the word they kept using, which, again, don't know if that word's been canceled. Um, but to kind of talk about the uh, source and I think we've talked about it on past episodes but for our reboot here I wanted to talk about Martin Denny Ooh. who they actually cover one of his songs I almost um, said that the, minus five to myself for not saying it but I almost yelled out this, that kind of riff is like Martin Denny damn it just like just totally you know I was thinking it good call I'll give you they're, 10 points they're almost spoofing Exotica with synthesizers which is a very like cheeky thing to do yeah um but to give listeners a reference, this is Martin Denny Quiet Village. Um, great example of the genre exotica. 
give you a thousand points. And basically the whole like role of Exotica was that like in the 50s people were just getting into the idea of like tropical vacations in the US people were getting into like going to Hawaii um, and so these records were trying to, to capture the tropical exotic aspects of going abroad was it a little tongue in cheek or was it kind of this no this yeah. wasn't tongue in cheek I think Yellow Magic Orchestra is making fun of it I mean even the fact that they use the term yellow magic they're just kind of like spoofing the sort of racism and uh no i guess maybe not racism but are they asian uh characterization yeah yeah yellow magic orchestra is japan but martin denny is white right yeah and i think he's completely sincere i was even reading that he actually died in hawaii even though he's born in New York. So I think he like genuinely thought he was very like genuine about his music. And this was a time he wasn't trying like, to spoof American audiences really had no access to this kind of music, right? Like totally. It's pretty early it's on in recording music history. And it's to go along with like pool culture, like people are getting pools during this era and tiki bars and you know this idea of like capturing that leisure and relaxation is like by the water with a palm tree and whatever else so is this music considered racist now um maybe stereotypical yeah or stereotyping over characterizing like it does give you that exact feeling the only thing that's problematic is a lot of times these albums, so Exotica albums, will have like a white person who's right. dressed to be vaguely like exotic, and they usually have titles that just like are problematic. Like this one, Quiet Village, the exotic sounds of Martin Denny. It just makes everything seem like it's weird because it's different. Yeah, well, even the name, Exotica. Yeah. Yeah, it's not even exotic. It's like a weird uh, exotica. It's a but I feel like Spanish weaving webs with like John Cale. Like even some of this stuff is kind of avant-garde for the time. I feel totally. All right, you got. You want to go one more, and then we'll close it out with our last ones. Uh, so I'm coming into Boogie Down Productions. Oh, okay, let me go on a run here. Then oh, going on a run. So I saw that Martin Denny, Martin Denny's album was heavily used in uh, the film uh, make of the book Breakfast of Champions. I don't know if you are a Kurt Vonnegut fan. I am, and that book I've never gotten through, but I respect it. It's got the drawings in it. So it's all over it, and I started thinking to myself, what is a breakfast of champions I thought about Sister Ray sucking on a ding dong some more great uh, transgressive lyrics Sucking on a ding dong. 
So I had to throw this in. This is just an edit where they looped. The, <laughs> I was like, uh, yeah. on my <laughs> I was wondering if our uh, recording software is glitching or something. Good. That's great though. All right, all right. I'll watch it do the real one. No, that was great. But yeah, I had to go with Sister Ray. Uh, probably my favorite song on the album, just because of the energy. Um, you had talked about earlier that they did this album in 48 hours, and I think this song was a one take. Um, they basically just cranked up their amps and um, rolled with it. Whatever they got, they were happy. So I'm going to give you a million points for that, because I definitely thought it was the real song for at least three minutes of it going on. <laughs> And weaving sucking webs on with, my uh, ding dong. <laughs> I mean, that's You're what the song should be. You're too busy All right, here's the real Sister Ray. It becomes a drone of its own sort. This was the most popular song on the album. John Cale on a electric organ, or an organ through a, a amp. Sucking on my ding dong. The other great line is the uh, waiting for her booster, because now in COVID times, all I can think about is the vaccine. Yeah, I'm waiting for my booster. John Cale with his organ. I haven't listened to the lyrics that closely, but apparently someone gets killed in the lyrics. So another example yeah, of Weaving Webs. And Sister Ray is a trans crack dealer. Yeah. Which uh, Paris once said he murdered a crack dealer. This is a great example of just the fuzzed out jamming. From their sponsor, Box. This feels like a Lou Reed-led song where John Cale is just throwing his own thing on. Yeah. But you got the drones in the background there. Yeah, totally. Whereas it felt like your example was a John Cale song with Lou Reed. Yeah. He's got the best of both worlds. 
So do you think you're the lead of connecting the classics or the John Tail? I think you're the you're lead. It's like because I'm an asshole. <laughs> no, because you've got the cool. I think they're both assholes. Yeah. Can you turn it up on your end? Alright, we don't have to do the full 17 minutes. Um, this is the longest song ever on a Velvet Underground studio album. Recorded in one take. Recorded in one take, 17 minutes long. Mo Tucker on that motoric beat. Just killing it. Um, so in Lou Reed's biography, he said, For Sister Ray, we turned up to flat out 10. Excuse me, we turned up to 10 flat out. Leakage all over the place, that's it. Meaning, like, cranked up their amps. The, like, mics are bleeding into one another because they're so loud. They asked us what we were going to do. We said, we're going to start. They said, who's playing bass? We said, there is no bass. They asked us when it ends. We didn't know. When it ends, that's that's when it ends. <laughs> that's awesome. Kind of, uh, I know they took some inspiration from Ornette Coleman and, like, Free Jazz. Um, totally. Kind of putting that into rock and roll, which I think is way more common now, but awesome yeah and i saw like the recording engineer throughout the recording of this album yeah which left. is like yeah he was pissed because he's like it's hitting the red like the peaks every time and they like that yeah it was some quote about he's like i'll record i'll put it to record but, but that doesn't mean i have to listen to it i kind of hear the room you yeah. tell me when you're done <laughs> that's great i was gonna say i kind of hear in this that section we just heard of like the high-pitched guitar it kind of reminded me of the Space Invaders song like, totally alright this is usually when I restart the song and I listen to it all over again so I'm gonna go ahead and fade it out and I'll pass back Close right. out. great choice though someone had to do it um, love that song maybe we'll put on the sucking on a ding dong maybe we'll restart at the end put the full 17 minutes in um, but we left off with Arnold Palmer. What do you know about the man, Arnold Palmer? Golfer. That's all I know. That's all I know too. Golfer made the drink, did a quick Googling, did some quick Googling, some, some Googling <laughs> and, uh, found an article on medium that said he was a pioneer of the modern sports sponsorship industry. Okay. Kind of like how Vox was a sponsor of the fuzz of the Velvet Underground. Kind of like John Cale is the sponsor of our theme song. Okay. Kind of like the Boogie Down production song, Word From Our Sponsor. Nice. This is a test of the Boogie Down production prevention against suck MCs. In the event of a real emergency, you would have been instructed on which jams to play and how loud to blast your radio. And now, a word from our sponsor. Best beat on the album. Yeah. 
I thought I recognized that from something, but I think I just recognized it from this. Someone might have sampled it. Yeah. There's another part it's on just this. Like, oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Now you go ahead. You know more than I know. Just this rhyme, this rhyme schema, just such an era. Yeah. But at the time, it was revolutionary too, because it was totally step forward or more natural, I guess, than what was. But I love too, especially like nowadays where everything's sponsored and everyone's always giving a word from their sponsor. They were ahead of the curve. Yeah. I gotta start this rhyme again. How many words can I find that rhyme? And still keep in mind every lyric must come out on time. Not many, but I have plenty. Not many. Just to devastate anyone, any daughter, any son that comes my way. Hey, you got And there's a part where uh, it reminds me of the song I played, Lady Godiva's Operation. Later on in this, where it's like he comes in with like knowledge will nourish. Yeah. Oh yeah. So Scott LaRock, I didn't really actually know much about him. Yeah, we didn't talk about him. Yeah. This is crazy, though. Kind of reminds me of the drums on Body Count. But yeah, it sounds like he was murdered. Yeah, which I didn't really know much about that. I didn't either. It makes sense why KSR KRS One went like solo and bigger. Yeah. Well, then D Nice is still around too. Like he's respected, but. Right there. Like, knowledge will nourish. Speaking of nourish, Karis One is a vegan. Out, he's like a speaks about going vegan. Not many rappers are willing to do that. Issuing a correction, minus 10 points. I don't think KRS-One has anything to do with the New York lyric law, but he's always up to something. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I love the beat on this. Love the sparse use of the sample, mostly just drums. Beautiful simplicity of hip hop, while also showcasing some skill. And we're gonna play out the full 17-minute version of Sister Ray. Snoop. Uh, but every time I think of Nine Millimeter, just think of the uh, Akon and David Banner song. Wait, I don't know this. It's just Nine Millimeter. Used to love this song. Wow. I got a nine millimeter. 
any minute, so you fit it. Because of the law, I had to consider it. Oh, if you fuck around, you gon' make me reveal it. As I've been preparing for this, I've just been walking around saying, Because of the law, I had to conceal it. I had to conceal it. <laughs> if you fuck around, then I have to. Or you can make me reveal it. Also, Lil Wayne has a great verse. Um, but anyways, great episode. Thanks for listening. Follow us at CCC Pod. We'll be back next week. New episode. Check us out. Why did try to work this in? I didn't know how. You know this one? What is this? Sublime. Oh, God. School, they never talk about hamburgers or steak. Elijah Muhammad. We'll see you next episode. But I know. I know. And I know because of KRS1. Yeah. Play us out with this. And I know because of KRS1. Because now you know, dropping, listeners. Dropping, dropping science, dropping history with a whole leap of style and intelligence. I almost did yes, caress me down at karaoke the other night, taken for me. Oh my and god. Have you heard the caress me down story? Yeah, yeah, that you performed it. Yeah, that yeah. was so good. Oh man, you should have done it. And I know I have, you, have you looked up the lyrics? I pretty much know all those lyrics. Yes, do it next time you're out. All right, signing off. Signing Listeners, off. check out later. the songs. Check out these songs. Check out these albums. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Because we don't want to pay no money if we hear the same old sound. Watching will take hip hop to a higher ground. I'm fading this. I know. How do I know? And I know because of KRS-One. Yeah, and I know.